This show includes strong language and may sometimes feature discussions of difficult or triggering topics. Please check the show notes for content warnings. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Movie Catch-Up, a podcast where two friends work on reducing their movie backlog. Each episode, we serve up a double-feature discussion of movies we've selected for each other to catch up on. I'm Greg. And I'm Leanne. We're here. We're queer. Get used to it. Today, we're talking about Latter Days and Kissing Jessica Stein. Before we get into the movies, though, we had quite a fun weekend, and I thought it would be interesting to reminisce a little bit on our recent foray into the escape room. This is our first escape room we did together. I have only done one before this one, and... (laughs) Spoiler alert, we lost, (laughs) but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it was nice of them that we were close enough to the end uh, anyway to give us a little bit of extra time to sort of figure out the last few puzzles, but definitely some good experience for when we decide to do other ones on not focusing on things too closely and not overthinking puzzles, which, of course, one of the, the girls that was working there indicated is a common issue for people. Yeah. For those of you listening that haven't done an escape room before, it's essentially a quite quite popular thing right now where they build these rooms full of puzzles and locks and things, usually themed over escaping the area. So a lot of them themed after like horror that you're trying to escape. Like, you know, I know a classic one is like a serial killer's basement. You're trying to escape it by solving all these puzzles. It's a lot of physical puzzles, riddles things like that, and it really tests you mentally. The one we did was themed after Pirates of the Caribbean, including references to Captain Jack. Very piratey themed. It was a lot of fun. The other key thing is that you are on a timer. Uh, You usually have an hour, but I know that there are some rooms where you have less time than that. Uh, So you really have to work as a team to search the room for things and figure things out. The room that we did um, was also a lot of like sort of like Rube Goldberg kind of things where like you have to do something to create a reaction that opens something else. So it's not like we were looking for keys or had to figure out puzzles so much. It was like, what do we have to do to do X or Y? It was usually solving a riddle or some kind of puzzle to then figure out the little contraption that you had to place things in certain areas like the first puzzle that we got stumped on for an embarrassing amount of time was we had this compass and when you put the compass down on like this talking tree uh it told you like a little riddle type of thing like oh you need to use basically you just need to use this compass to find the treasure and the compass would start to flip between different uh um directions directions yeah and we had the compass Not the wrong way, but, like, we weren't reading it north to south properly based on these little directions written on in Sharpie on the tree that were, like, kind of fading. I mean, we we did actually have it oriented wrong the first time. Um, The first couple of times we had south at north, and then... I don't think that would have mattered. No, but, I mean, initially when we started it, it was, like... I, what I thought was north was actually south on the compass, and then we noticed that there was an actually written orientation, which eventually yeah. helped us. So if we'd noticed so that sooner, we definitely actually, probably... Our north was east, right? And like that, yeah. so that was like throwing us off. And then we had to like turn this big dial in the same directions that the compass was telling us to turn it. 
And then it unlocked, that was unlocked like a little weird boat thing that we put on a platform that led us into the uh, Black Pearl. And then there was like six different things we had to do in the Black Pearl. That The really annoying one is that Leanne quite quickly figured out how to turn this, uh, the, the wheel of the pirate ship to like make this parrot talk to us. And we had to turn it in certain ways. And that unlocked a drawer that we didn't hear unlock. So we finished the puzzle and we were just like, scrambling to figure out other things, not realizing that we'd unlocked the next puzzle. Spent a lot of time trying to redo that puzzle because I didn't think that it had worked. And then when we eventually asked for a hint. Music box the whole time. Yeah. When we eventually asked for a hint, (laughs) they were really good. And they were like, well, actually you guys didn't notice that this has already been triggered (laughs) and they didn't count that as like the use of a hint. So that was nice of them. It was frustrating because those two mistakes, the compass and that room cost us of our 50 minutes like 25 minutes maybe and everything else we were doing so well on like once we figured that out we got through all the other puzzles really quickly and mm-hmm. we got into the like one of the final rooms and then we got stuck there because we had like three minutes left when we got into that room and we were panicking and didn't read certain clues properly and then thankfully yeah they gave us some extra time so we managed to <laughs> probably do it in like 15 minutes over but it was a lot of fun i really liked it I think probably because there wasn't an, an, another booking after us, they were yeah more capable of allowing us to have some extra time. But if somebody else was going to be in the room, then we would have been out of luck. Yeah. I almost wouldn't mind it if they just kicked us out and we could have tried it again. It like rushed to that point almost. And like, yeah, but it was fun. I think we're, we have two choices we're going to try next time. Maybe right. Either Camelot or Candyland. Yeah. I think those are the two that we talked about doing. Yeah. This company has places also like all over our area. There's like six of them or something in different cities. So each of them has different escape rooms and it's really yeah. cool how many there is out here. I've The one I did before was Frankenstein themed and it was a lot about trying to find all the body parts and connect them up to Frankenstein. And we finished that one with about 12 minutes to spare. And we were shocked because it was supposedly like the hardest one there, but we got pretty lucky with the group we took in uh, it was three of us, and each of us were solving different puzzles due to, like, really thinking differently than each other, which I think is very key. Like, people, some people are very re- uh, right brain, some people are very left brain, and uh, it was really helpful. Oh, 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 you guys want to hear something freaky? You remember those four people that moved into Elizabeth's old apartment? Guess what they do? Quadruplet porn stars. This no. town, hardly freaky. The rodeo clowns. No, 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 no. Listen, it's even weirder than that. They are Mormon missionaries. Swear to God. Oh. Oh. Uh-oh, the rodeo clowns would have been kind of cool. <laughs> they must have loved your aberrant lifestyle. I dated a Mormon guy once. His family put him through shock therapy. We'd have sex. He was a wild man. Then he'd want to throw himself out the window. So you live on the first floor? Yes, but it's hell on my azaleas. <sighs> Now, wouldn't it be funny if you converted them instead of them converting you? Could you imagine? No, I've seen these boys. They're wound way too tight for that. I bet he can't do it. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Are we betting here? So this week for you, I picked Latter Days. This is a 2003 movie starring Steve Sandboss as Elder Aaron Davis, Wes Ramsey as Christian Markelly along with a strong supporting cast, including Amber Benson, who played Tara and Buffy, who I love, Carrie Payton, who I more recently found through Critical Role and The Walking Dead. It's interesting watching this again, knowing him now. And Rebecca Johnson as Christian's friends and coworkers. 
And then also notably, we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Rob McElhaney as two of Aaron's fellow Mormon missionaries. It was written and directed by C.J. Cox, who also wrote and directed Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon, which I've never seen, but vividly remember seeing at um, Roger's video all the time and wanting to rent. If you've never seen it, we're definitely putting it on the list then. Sounds good. I want to watch it. So this movie has a tomato meter score of 45%, but the audience score is an 80%. It's always interesting when that's very different. Mm -hmm. The movie tagline for this is Aaron Praise, Christian Plays, Opposites Attract. So the general plot of Latter Days is that Christian, a young gay West Hollywood waiter slash party boy, makes a bet with his co-workers after a group of frat bro Mormon missionaries move into his housing complex. Due to his sexual prowess, he apparently can turn and sleep one of these boys, and so they make a $50 bet that he can nab one of their Mormon undies. It is a pretty crude bet, and he takes it very willingly at first. Uh, his eyes are set on the naive, innocent, and curious elder Aaron Davis as his target. Christian begins to flirt with this wide-eyed Aaron, but soon discovers that uh, he might be falling for him, and that Aaron is indeed also queer and closeted. And their budding relationship, before it can really get off the ground, is cut short as their first kiss uh, gets interrupted by the other missionaries, forcing Aaron back home to face his family and the Mormon church. While Aaron attempts to set things right and win back the man he has fallen for. And then there's a lot of tragedy. But a happy ending. Uh, so I picked this movie for you specifically because, similar to some other movies I've picked, I watched this when I was first coming out in my formative years, and it just stuck with me. I've watched it a couple times since. The last time I've seen this was probably maybe six or seven years ago, so not super recently. And I just, I always come back to it, even though I've, even the first time I watched it, I very much acknowledged it wasn't a perfect movie. The religious angle of it being something I'm very close to really stuck with me, and I just felt like it had very good, earnest performances and a genuine nice love story and there's also some really sexy sexy times so that's basically why i picked this what were your initial thoughts i'm not really sure what my initial thoughts were uh i won't lie i had to watch the weird awkward blowjob scene at the beginning like three times while i was trying to figure out the best way <laughs> to like cast the movie to my tv so it just like kept restarting and it was <laughs> A that's lot. hilarious yeah, it was very awkward i probably could have skipped over it but that's not how i roll i forgot that there was as much blatant sex in this to be honest i remembered the obviously i remembered the pivotal midpoint scene at the hotel but i did not remember how much other sex christian has probably would have put yeah, a i mean considering that. that's like the very first scene of the movie it was just like okay um trying to get past this so that I can get into, you know, the actual story part. Overall, I liked it. Um, it's got some issues, which, of course, we'll talk about. But I thought, you know, the friendship is sort of, sort of the found family at the restaurant that Christian has with his co-workers 
was good. Um, I like that this movie didn't bury any gays. That was like a nice change of pace. Yeah, especially for a religious theme. Yeah. It, I mean, I'll, t- I'll get into sort of more of my thoughts, but like yeah, initially I liked it. And, you know, nobody died at the end, which is always a bonus for movies like this. And they actually get together in the end, which is nice. Unlike many other movies in this genre. So going into some of the good, what were some of the highlights of this for you? Um, I have a note here that said, despite his predatory gayness, I did like Christian a lot as a character. I think he was just generally well acted. And, you know, despite the fact that he you know, it was kind of slutty and then he intentionally pursued straight boys because of his ability to allegedly turn them that he was a good character. He has a good character arc. You know, he gets challenged a little bit about, you know, being shallow from uh, Aaron and that really does niggle him to the point that he uh, starts to volunteer with Andrew's angel meals or whatever. Uh, And he develops this, really good relationship with Keith, who's, you know, slowly dying from AIDS and it really causes him to sort of rethink his approach to his lifestyle and everything. So he gets a really good character arc. uh, And I liked that a lot. It's his character is firmly of the time, like many, many, many other movies I've seen in the same genre from this time period. Uh, I'm thinking largely of something like Showtime's Queer as Folk. It's, it's a lot about promiscuous party club gays. And like, that is a huge, huge thing at this time period. And in these kind of movies, especially set in LA and all that. And I thought the movie did a really good job of taking his character from that point and putting him through realistic situations and around characters that really helped him widen his viewpoint and start to begin to change. And I like that it wasn't like a, overnight thing either like a fair amount of time passes in this movie we see him continually going back and visiting with keith as he's delivering off these meals which i thought that really helped anchor his character like you're saying and gave a nice viewpoint like there's a lot of stuff in this one of my highlights for this movie being that it highlights different parts of the queer community that you don't get in a lot of these movies like all the community and charity work that goes and stuff around HIV positive people in the queer community, delivering them meals, that kind of stuff is really important. And seeing Keith and his struggles and his good days and his bad days. And, and that kind of part of the queer community was really, really powerful seeing the religious angle of it and all of um, Aaron's struggles with the Mormon church, which I've seen a few longer uh, documentaries and especially, oh, I'm not, I can't remember his name. He either won or came in second place on So You Think You Can Dance in one of the very early seasons. Uh, he was deeply closeted Mormon. And I watched like a two hour video of him describing coming out in the church and dealing with that. And like, and so I thought this dealt with that really well too. And it was just nice to see certain things displayed that you don't get in some of these other movies. Yeah, the uh, the Mormon angle was interesting. I feel like they could have gone into more sort of detail about what the sort of 
the work that they were doing was about. Like they talk briefly about it, but it's not super essential other than establishing that, you know, he's Mormon. He's on this thing. He's away from his family. Yeah. Sort of it's like his circus level mission. stuff. Yeah. So I feel like they could have like provided a little bit more information there to kind of round that side of the story out. Yeah. Some of my favorite scenes, like my favorite scene is probably one of the scenes when you see Aaron and Ryder, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, biking out and they're going door to door trying to essentially hand out pamphlets, spread the word of the Latter-day Saints and all this, which is what I gather most of being on your missions about. And they go to the hospital to deliver some pamphlets, perhaps. And that's when Aaron runs into the um, Lila, who runs the restaurant that Christian works at. And it's kind of like a chance meeting that doesn't uh, get paid off towards the end of the movie. But you have this amazing scene where Aaron sits down with Lila, who has just had to pull the plug from her longtime partner, and Aaron gives this amazing speech about how and you just see him struggling to connect and his church and his upbringing and all his pamphlets don't tell him what like the right thing to say to this woman who's grieving and he doesn't have any answers in his pre-written pamphlets. And, and he just gives this little speech from the heart about how when he was a kid, he would look really close at the Sunday comics and it would all just look like a mess of dots. And that when you look at it from afar, everything starts to make sense on the comic page and how that's kind of like life. And it's not going to make sense looking it up close right now, but with some distance and like, hopefully like from God's point of view, it's like all going to make sense. And it's like this gorgeous speech. And, and there were little elements like that where it was nice to see Aaron's faith in a positive light and in a light that wasn't just entirely negative. And we get the sense like throughout this movie, at least I got the sense that he was never demonized for believing in God and being gay, that kind of thing, you know, that happens in a lot of these movies. So that was nice. So some of the scenes where he's actually doing his missionary work, were kind of good. Yeah, I agree that the representation of him, you know, being this devout person is never shown to be negative. Um, you know, like the sect that he is part of is really what's villainized. It's not that he, yeah. you know, has this faith and that he's doing this thing, but it's all of the restrictions and it's the other things that are sort of part and parcel of that that are really sort of the antagonistic piece of, of this movie. And like what you said before too, another highlight for me was his tight um, Christian's group of friends and found family aspect at the restaurant. I wrote down that the kitchen they work at seems like this really fun, great place to work at. And I made me really miss working with like a tight group of coworkers who actually enjoy each other's company. Since switching jobs uh, have kind of lost that and that really makes a job so much easier when you really like the people you work with and they're more than just like the people you see at work. And that was, yeah, I made really a note great. about, you know, like I've worked in restaurants and, you know, that kind of dynamic is very real because I mean, you see usually the same people on the same shift all the time and you really develop uh, a rapport and a routine with each other and you just kind of learn to appreciate each other. I don't miss working 
front end customer service at all, but I definitely miss, you know, having a good group of people to work with that really helps, yeah. you know, the, the day go by and just makes it so, I mean, you may hate your job, but at least yeah. you're working with good people. And that was so well contrasted with like the next scene of all the Mormons moving into the complex that uh, Christian lives in. And you very quickly get the sense that these four are, well, the three minus Aaron are just the frat broiest guys you've ever seen. They're so frat broy that that's exactly what Christian thinks they are at first, that they're just like some frat bros until he brings over some beer and they're like, oh, we can't drink, we're Mormons, <laughs> which is a great scene. But like, and my current job, that's how I kind of feel like I'm stuck, where it's like all these coworkers are so frat broy and they're just like being surrounded by them all day is just so overbearing. <laughs> And I'm just the whole time, it's just like, oh, I feel you, Aaron. This sucks for you. You poor thing. Uh, the other good thing about this movie is obviously, as previously said, that, you know, the movie doesn't bury any gaze. We get a, a bit of a period of time in the movie towards the back half where we think that Aaron has killed himself. Yeah. But it turns out that he has not and that his parents have just sent him away to basically, like, do conversion therapy. After kind an of attempted stuff suicide. But yes. Yes, after an attempted suicide. But, you know, when Christian is trying to get in touch with Aaron after he leaves L.A., you know, she tells him, you know, I don't have a son anymore. And like, you killed him and blah, 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 which I was very mad about because Christian's involvement in Aaron's life was not the reason why he tried to kill himself. Thank you very much. Um, it was 100% the fact that she was saying that he was going to hell yeah. and that his father couldn't stand to look at him. And, you know, like he's living in this very toxic environment toxic and abusive environment where you know he didn't feel like he had any way out and then the movie doesn't do anything to dissuade us from thinking that he's dead until like almost the very end i did like the scene where we learn that he is in this inversion camp type thing yeah because there's a scene where christian is like having a dream that he's like in this chair getting shock treatment yeah. and it like transitions in it to being like aaron so that was a really Really good scene for me is just sort of in terms of how we transition from one character to another and sort of finally yeah. actually learn what's happened to him. And there's a, there's a few scenes in here that hint towards some sort of spiritual connection between the two of them that, and there's like a lot of prop, like, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there's the scene where he's talking with Keith, Keith grabs his hand and Ke and like Keith has like this, vision of him like in snow essentially and kind of leading into their fortuitous meeting in the snow later on and there's the scene where christian is trying to call every phone number in this area he knows that aaron lives in trying to find him and is just doodling down numbers randomly and it turns out the numbers he doodled were the exact phone number of aaron and and there's like these dreams that are connecting them and it wasn't really touched on but so i'm not sure like maybe we could have done either more with that or I personally would have cut the weird number writing down scene because that was just like weird to me. Yeah, one my one of my biggest negatives about the movie is that I didn't think the pacing was that great. There yeah. was like a lot of places where it dragged and it's just like it felt like nothing was really happening. So they either could have cut things or, you know, done more to pad the stories. Yeah, I will say one of my big highlights for this movie, and it's some we touched on this a little bit already, but more so than just the fact that it didn't bury any of their gaze, that it remained their story from their point of view. 
a few comparisons I would link to, especially big one being Prayers for Bobby, which came out seven years later than this, but is a very similar story about a Christian closeted kid who um, his parents find out and there's all the turmoil and it's, it, it follows a lot of those same beats, but then Bobby commits suicide and the movie is more so about his mother's journey through this and her becoming an advocate for LGBT youth after her son dies. And I just find a lot of these movies focus largely on the straight people in the queer person's life and how they're dealing with it. And this could have easily turned into this thing where we had this large subplot about the mother grappling with things and the father grappling with things. And we got just the outside little bits of that, but it really did remain their story. And in the end, it's him leaving his family for his chosen family back in L.A. And we didn't get this whole long drawn out thing between him and his family. And like we got to really kind of just skip past some of the whole like melodrama of it all and get to the point where he's disowned them and he's back in L.A. Or they've disowned him and he's back in L.A. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I find these movies just like it's like we get it. The mom has to deal with all this. She's grappling with all this. But like. Whose story is it at this point if most of the movie is about, you know, Jenny's wedding? It's all about Jenny's mom, right? Like, these movies so much focus on the struggle of the straight person. I was wondering when Jenny's wedding was going to come up during this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This definitely felt like a movie made for and by queer people. Just, like, the way it was filmed and shot. And it, like, fully went there for the sex. It fully went there for committing to their relationship. It didn't sideline things. I appreciated that, even if the movie as a whole was a little rough around the edges as far as plotting and things like that we'll get into. Uh, So I'm curious how you felt about the general romance between the two, if you bought into and enjoyed their story. I didn't really think that Christian and Aaron had that much chemistry, so it was a bit of a struggle. And I think part of that is because Christian is like very forward and Aaron is like very like within himself so in the scenes that they had together where there was any kind of like flirtation it was like very much Christian and like Aaron not really like contributing so much but also just I don't know there was something about the two actors together where um there wasn't like a strong sense that they were like connecting and playing off each other I actually found that there was like way more like sexual tension between Christian and Ryder uh and I think Again, that sort of speaks more to the strength of the actors, but also the fact that Ryder was like this very aggressively homophobic character. And I think that's because I just have, you know, a lot of experience in other movies and through like fanfic through the years and blah, 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 where you have somebody who's like much more adversarial, who the the love hate you know, the enemies to lovers kind of thing, which is something that I like, but I've never bought it. I've never liked that. Well, I mean, it depends on sort of how it comes about, but uh, I think in like a situation like this, where you have somebody who's so like aggressively uh, homophobic, that if that was the target for it, it would feel weird. And the overall conclusion wouldn't have been as nice. Like the fact that Aaron uh, was just kind of grappling with himself and then being out from underneath his uh, family's house where he's being exposed to all of these different people who have a different way of thinking. 
and uh, really sort of starting to think about your own self-perception, not self-perceptions, but, you know, considering how you are actually feeling about other people was an interesting character dynamic. But I, yeah, I definitely felt like there was more tension between Christian and Ryder, but I think that really comes down to performance for those characters more than anything. I I really enjoyed the relationship between Aaron and Christian in this. I think a lot of it, for me, like it starts out with Aaron is so, you know, back, he's so backed into his own corner and in his own head about things. And, and I, I really liked getting these little small scenes of like them in the laundromat and just like starting to open up to each other. I love the laundromat scene where they're just like nerdily quoting movies at each other. And there's like this instant kind of spark there that I found kind of undeniable when they're like the instant one of them quotes a movie at the other one. And then they just like instantly realize they've got this shared thing in common and they're just geeking out about it. And I really liked seeing how much of a dweeb Aaron was like, he just turned into such a dweeb once he, we came to open up, like he was such a movie nerd and he was just like this clumsy oaf of a guy that like, didn't really, he was so innocent, naive. And, and then we get the scene where that kind of turns on its head when Christian injures himself Aaron brings him inside and Christian tries to use this injury as a way to flirt with and get with Aaron and Aaron pushes him back and basically says, yeah, you found me out. I'm closeted, but like this could never even be something if I wanted it to be something because you're just shallow. Uh, He had this great read. It's like, you're like a walking, talking marshmallow peep. And I just wrote the library is open snaps. (laughs) And I really liked that they started to challenge each other and they had this interesting dynamic that was going on where like even just the moment where Aaron lays his head on Christian kind of begrudgingly at first as Christian's dragging him down. And then like you so clearly, I thought, saw that he wanted to succumb to this and like he wanted to, like he was really starting to enjoy it. And then he pulls away and he's grappling with all these things. And and that might be part of it that like there was so much internal homophobia and things like that going on in Aaron's mind that it's it's kind of hard to say how their relationship would even turn out at this point because until Aaron works through all that kind of stuff it's hard for them to even have a genuine relationship so that's why I kind of like that at the ending it ends on like a hope for them to have a relationship rather than them like fully being in a relationship because they still have a lot to work through obviously like you can't just go from being a closet Mormon and like okay, now I've dropped my family, I've dropped my church, I've dropped my belief, and I'm here ready at your doorstep to fall in love with you. Like, that's just the beginning. Yeah. But the scene they have in the snow where they meet at the airport was such a classic rom-com scene. It was, like, very much, like, I'm just here to tell you I love you. And, like, uh, and it was, like, I really got swept up by it. And then they go back to the hotel, and I thought, like, it was pretty steamy. And I really, like, more than that, I just really enjoyed how they're just, like, laying on the bed naked together and just really opening up and having, like, genuine conversations about, like, his little pocket watch that his grandfather gave him and, like, more about his family and, like, just these little scenes where they're really getting to know each other. I just, like, I really bought into it. Yeah, I think it comes back to the pacing issue where I just wish that there were, like, more scenes of them sort of playing off each other before, you know, we get to the point where Aaron is heading back home because he's been found out. And then we have, you know, this progression in their relationship where, you know, they're actually getting to know each other. Like, I think that would have helped me buy into it a little bit more. I mean, I like, it was fine, but, you know, I wasn't as fully invested in it as I could have been. 
Um, just a few more things I wrote down before we move on to some of the nitpicks and just talking about the real problems we had with it, although we've touched on some of them already. I wrote down, like, right before they said it, like, if you're going to get excommunicated for a kiss anyways, you might as well go all the way. And then he literally says, like, I'm already going to hell for kissing you. Might as well take the scenic route, which I loved. (laughs) (laughs) I just really liked Aaron. He's, like, such, like, a Midwestern dweeby nerdy kid and this hot guy's body. And, like, he was so awkward and, I don't know, very relatable. Uh, I like the quote at the end of the movie that Lila says, like, oh, your church doesn't like alcohol or homosexuals. Well, guess I'm not joining. I couldn't imagine heaven without both. She was great. I love these, like, older female characters that pop up in these movies that are just super accepting and comforting and, like, warm blankets to these poor, young, troubled gay kids. And, like, that's a big running theme in these movies. And I always love those characters. Usually it's, like, a drama teacher or something, but I'll take this. Oh, yeah, when one of Christian's hookups that he gets with, this is, like, right after he's starting to get conflicted about the whole bet with Aaron and how Aaron has just called him shallow and vapid. So the next date he takes over, he's like, do you want to maybe just, like, talk and get to know each other or just, like, sleep in the bed rather than, like, sleep with each other? And it goes, whoa, you're freaking me out. I didn't know you were doing some weird shit, like, having a conversation. (laughs) It's great. Do you believe in God? You mean other than Madonna? (laughs) There was some great one-liners from his friends at the bar. I like when Christian's trying to draw him in for that first time after he injures himself and just goes, this doesn't have to mean anything. And Aaron's like almost in tears. Like, yes, it does. It has to mean something if I'm going to do this. The the shot of Christian's ass fully in frame, full ass in frame, as Aaron is, like, cleaning up his wound and, like, telling his stupid dweeby story about his high school field trip. It's just, like, the framing of it versus Aaron, like, barely able to look at him, just, like, cleaning up his ass that got uh, injured and then, like, telling this stupid story. And it's, like, the juxtaposition of it's great. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, when he runs into that pole after when they're playing the, the baseball and Julie takes off her shirt and he just like completely runs into the pole. He was pretty good in this. I liked him. He played his character well. His character was very weird in some ways because like, I don't know what it was. If it was just because he didn't like that Christian was gay or what, but every interaction he has with them, like sort of regardless of the context was very adversarial. Like they're just lingering around on the basketball court and like, he is so rude and dismissive of the fact that they're not using it. And just like, I don't know if that was a personal choice on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's part, or if that was a directorial note or what, to be like, every interaction you have with these people has to be like the most adversarial ever. Christian's gay and he's a Mormon. And Julie's black, I guess. Like, it's not clear if racism is part of it, but you could definitely infer that it might be. That might be in in the back burner. But like, that made perfect sense to me. Just like, I don't know, Uh, going to a Christian school, that's just like how most of my, the broier people in my school would talk and how they would act. And like the mere idea of a queer person being in their existence was enough to drive them to physical anger. Mm-hmm. Like that's super common. That's just how you're raised. Like that's how they're raised in the Mormon church is that like, it's not just that like him existing gay in proximity to them is a danger to them. They're taught that that is dangerous and like they're have a corrupting influence on you. Their mere presence is enough 
that you need to always be in pairs so that no corruption can get to you. Like that was a big thing, right? Like you can't ever be alone as a Mormon because someone might influence you and corrupt you. And like they're taught that the world out there is pagan and evil and and they're only good people in the world are them. So that that they internalize all that and think these ritualistic heathen pagan gay people out here are out here to like ruin the whole world and we're the only bastions of humanity left and like so it's not too far off for me to believe that his character would be extremely aggressive especially like having to exist in such close proximity for the first time ever after leaving utah like they've never had to deal with this in their life and all of a sudden like now this very flamboyant gay guy who's taking a new hookup to his house every day is across the street from them. So I believed all that fully. That makes sense. Obviously, it's a movie, and his character was, like, to a certain level, like, obviously playing it up and being extreme about it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said I wasn't sure if it was, like, a personal mm. choice on the part of the actor or if it was a director note yeah. to, like, play it that way, but it just seemed like a lot. And it helped that, like, all his Mormon friends reacted differently, right? Like, some of them were more to less aggressive than the others. Like, they weren't all as one pack of mean girls just, like, being horrible about everything the angle of him also being closeted is an interesting one there was like a little bit of tension there when christian like pushes him up against the side of the wall to try and ask about whatever happened to aaron and then like Ryder quickly deflates and like just gives him all the answers and like back down instantly i mean i don't want to suggest that Ryder as a character is closeted but there was just something about the way that those characters were being played where there was much more palpable it's tension. The people who protest yeah. the loudest, right? Well, that's what they say, but it's not always true. No, it's not always true. We like to say that as a way to excuse people's behavior, but it's very true. So did you have any nitpicky things that just really got to you in this movie before we move on to just talking about the bad stuff? Nothing that really got to me. Um, I mentioned what I have noted as nitpicks, basically that like for me, Christian and Aaron didn't really have any chemistry and that I felt like there was more sexual tension between Christian and Ryder. Those are sort of like my nitpicks sort of like in terms of who should be engaged in the story, maybe like shifted a little bit, but nothing wildly sort of niggled me the whole way through. Weirdly. I don't know if it bugged me so much, but just like when Julie gets sent a copy of her music video and it gets sent on a VHS tape, I just had to pause for a second and go, 2002 or three, a VHS tape to get like, I know we had DVDs then. And like, even it just seems weird to get mailed a VHS tape of your music video. But like, then I'm, well, that was kind of still on the cusp. And it was just like a thing that really took me out of the movie for a second, more so just 2020 looking back. To just see a VHS tape in a movie made in the 2000s was just like, oh, okay. I guess with you mentioning the music video, one thing I would say is a nitpick, but also I would really put under like a bad thing story-wise is, you know, Julie basically lifts Christian's entire journal wholesale for this uh, single that she releases. And I mean, while she doesn't tell him that she has done this, uh, which she definitely should have, she could have at least like included him as, a writer credit like he would have gotten royalties off of that and that would have been a nice thing to do to sort of like a mia culpa it was like hey i stole your personal thoughts but also like yeah. i made sure to include you as a credit and you're gonna get paid for that so i don't know if he would i don't know if he would get paid for it. he did get credited on like when they were playing the music video it would like had a little thing scrolling at the bottom about yeah but him, i mean that's but... different than being like credited as yeah, a writer on the song sure. you know it's like oh it's based on this it was like 
a little odd to me that Julie was such a positive character through most of the movie, did this rather terribly shitty thing yeah. to him, and then it it like, well, it brought us back together, so we're going to, I guess, kind of ignore it. I mean, when she picked up his journal to read it, and then she started, like, making notes, what I perceived that she was going to do was, like, use it as inspiration for something. And not that she was going to, like, literally Same. lift it word yeah. for word as written to use for a song. And also, like, it wasn't a really good like, song. I remember she'd done that, but I forgot that it was a one for one. No, not really. Well, I didn't mind the beat, but the lyrics, like, just taking someone's journal and putting it to music... Like, she could have switched around some of the lyrics or just, like, used them as a reference rather than just, like, yeah, seeing I mean, a like, journal. The fact that the lyrics were just what was written, it was, like, it wasn't even, like, a very good song from a lyrical yeah. standpoint because of that. Yeah. Um, I would have liked a little bit more Amber Benson. Like, we could have given her an equal amount of tiny subplot to the other two who both had their big thing, right? Like... You had uh, Julie's music career and Andrew had his charity work that he was doing that we explored a bit more. And then I don't even remember her character's name. Uh, Tracy had this a few throwaway lines about like hating L.A. and wanting to go to New York. And then she goes to New York and misses L.A. and comes back. I mean, part of her storyline is that she is up for an audition for like a big thing that she doesn't get. So she's like. Trying to be an actor. But aren't they all supposed to be actors? I don't get it, though. I thought they were all actors. Everybody's one. an aspiring something artist. I know what you mean. But, like, it just felt like she got the shaft out of the four or the three there. And I love her and just want more of her. That's all. So just a nitpick. Like, it didn't hurt the yeah. movie. Well, I mean, it comes back again, you know, to the pacing where they definitely could have done more with the time that the movie runs instead of including some of the scenes that they did that didn't, like, really serve the movie and the the yeah. story in any way. Um, I also wrote a few notes down about how funny I thought the whole Palm Pilot being a central part of this movie was. <sighs> it's just like, yeah, that was such a flash in the pan that even like a few years later, that didn't really age well. All like his little Palm Pilot with everyone's phone numbers and like, oh yeah, I slept with so-and-so on this date. And like, he's keeping his little journal with a little Palm Pilot that he's always flipping out. And it's like, it was just kind of funny. I agree. The, the inclusion of the Palm Pilot was like, this very much places this in a specific yeah. moment Which, of time. That's a key thing in common with Kissing Jessica Stein. We'll get to <laughs> love yes, our it, early 2000s movies. I did kind of like the thing that Christian like had a running record yeah. of like who he slept with and when. And even when Lila's like, oh, there's this guy at the bar who like seems definitely your type. And he's like, yeah, I saw him. And like, mm. we've definitely hooked up before. Oh, I also have to mention uh, another good thing. Just a quote I loved was when Ryder and Aaron are uh, giving their little presentation to Christian and Julie about the church and like Ryder's just not into it. And they get into a big argument, but like, there's no such thing. Gay and right don't belong in the same sentence. And like, and then just to, just to cut the tension uh, when like Ryder's going like everyone hates gay people and all this and, or whatever. And, <laughs> and then Aaron just bursts out and the French, everybody hates the French. <laughs> To, like, cut this awkward tension, and it's just, like, he's such a dweeb. It was great. Yeah, that's a really good scene. I did like, also, when they're out, um, like, going door-to-door, uh, door, and obviously the area of town that they're living in. I don't know if they live in, like, West Hollywood it's or West what. West Hollywood, apparently, yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. So, you know, they're going door-to-door, door, and, of course, 
given the area that they're in, like there's a very high concentration of like gay and queer people living there. And so, you know, it was like, oh, can I tell you about the Mormon church or whatever? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, sure. And like calls his partner over and like intentionally makes Ryder very uncomfortable at the door. And he's like this big buff guy. And like, I think he's in like a bathrobe or something like that. Or he's he's not he's not clothed or he is clothed, but he's like not, not wearing a whole lot. Yes. It's just like, yeah, that was good. And I mean, we've all at some point in our lives had a couple of Mormons come knocking on the door. I don't know if I've ever had Mormons knock at my door. A lot of Jehovah Witnesses where I used to live, though. I'm pretty sure that we I know I've had a lot of GWs, but I think we've definitely had some Mormons at at some point. The nice thing about living in an apartment building is that you don't get a lot of that yeah. or any of that. When I had uh, lived on a farm property, uh, we were, had a big bonfire going up, burning a few trees we cut down. Uh, when the Jehovah Witnesses came around and it was just my brother and his friends around and my brother invited the Jehovah Witnesses back for our cross burning and uh, Wiccan rituals or something. I don't know. Something along that lines. And it kind of almost looked like you were burning crosses with like these big trees and they quickly ran away. <laughs> I had another time that my mom tried to convert a Jehovah witness to like just normal Christianity, I guess. And like actually got in this conversation with this Jehovah witness, but then the other one pulled them away quickly when they realized they were starting to be a little receptive to things. Wow. Which is why you had pairs of them come, right? Interesting. Yeah. We've had some interesting Jehovah witness conversations in my house. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor, and when we were living out in the Kootenays, he told me that there used to be this man who used to always come uh, see him at the office, and they would talk for like a long time, and he was, I think he was um, an elder, I mean, I guess, if you're an adult and you're in the Mormon church, you're called an elder, um, but they would talk all the time, and my dad would really challenge them, or challenge him on his belief to the point that this guy like basically got excommunicated with him and his wife. I think uh, so. Very interesting uh, how you can just kind of push someone on their beliefs really hard to make them question yep. things that they've been told. Which, interestingly, uh, Christian in this doesn't really do so much. Really, Aaron is the one that kind of pushes him on his beliefs more than anything. I also, we haven't talked about the fact that the main character's name is Christian at all in reference to sort of yeah. the overall religious tone that accompanies this movie because he's like not a religious person at all and yet here he is you know with this name that is very emblematic of you know this religion that he's outright rejecting i guess it it was i almost think that they should have picked a different name because like i don't think that really played with too much also like being a christian is so much different than being a mormon i'm not sure why they picked that name I mean, it very well could have just been like, this is a good name, so we'll choose it. But also, you know, Christian and Mormon sort of being the opposites of each other in a a way. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely fits. Um, So as far as the more bad of this movie, I know we've touched on the plotting as one of the main reasons. Um, What were some of the plotting things that you... That were your big issues with this? Um, I don't have any specific notes because I didn't really take notes when I was watching this. I'm sorry. Uh, I made a lot of notes after the fact. Um, but I just, there were scenes in between like Christian being at work or uh, scenes where he is interacting with like some of the other Mormon guys or like when they're out like clubbing or whatever. It just, I felt like those things weren't necessary they didn't add anything and that i was just kind of like waiting for the story to move itself forward so i really anything sort of 
between the bet that's made and uh, not, I shouldn't say anything, but a lot of the things that are between when the bet is made and when Christian starts actively pursuing Aaron to win the bet up to the point that Aaron leaves. And then like the story really starts because he's grappling with the fact that he's caused him to be excommunicated. And we get to see all of the drama with Aaron back at home, dealing with the fact that he's, you know, not part of the church anymore and he's being rejected by his family and his suicide attempt and blah, 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 all of that stuff. It was just like, there was a lot of stuff in sort of the front half where I was like, okay, like when are we going to sort of get into this? I agree that the pacing of it was a little off for me. I think the, for me at least, the the midpoint scene with him chasing him down at the airport was really, really good. And then there was some stuff before that and after that that, like, kind of dragged. Like, I think we needed more scenes of uh, get to the bet a little bit get to the bet and like that whole setup a little quicker have a few more scenes of Aaron and Christian interacting maybe Christian takes the bet a little slower at first and they're just kind of lightly flirting and getting to know each other like in the laundromat before like the next scene where he's like cutting himself and like dragging him into bed with him and then like smooth out the progression a little bit more and then after like there's this there's these big lulls around that time period, like you're saying, get to that midpoint, maybe a little quicker where he's at the airport. And then for me, there's even a bunch of stuff after that, where there's a lot of scenes of sad Christian being sad and all the stuff happening with Aaron at that point was a little bit better. And maybe we needed less Christian in the back half and more what was happening with Aaron and just touch back in on what's happening with Christian. Cause there is a, like the front half is definitely like Aaron or sorry, Christian front loaded. And then it's, I felt like it should have been more Aaron front-loaded at the back. We got a lot of sad scenes of Christian. Yeah, I think that's probably what I'm thinking of in terms of, like, scenes that it's dragging, where it's, like, there's a scene where somebody is, like, moping by themselves and they're being sad. Like, yeah. scenes where they're by themselves and, like, nothing is really happening. is like, okay, this either needs to be shorter or you need to introduce another character so that something is happening. Yeah. I mean, that's a very common note for when you're writing any kind of story, right? It's, like... You shouldn't have characters be by themselves because when characters are lost with their own thoughts, like that's when the story starts to slow down or drag or you sort of start to uh, navel gaze in a way that it's like it's not interesting. I feel like we probably could have either we probably could have cut like 15 minutes of those types of scenes and added in 15 more minutes of one to two more scenes of them getting to know each other at the front and really building that relationship and dynamic more. I think it would have been easier to build into their romantic chemistry. Cause I feel like they had a lot of sexual chemistry like, I don't know, on that end. But if like they got to know each other a bit better, shared like all their dweeby stuff about their movies and stuff like that, if we built up on that more, they really got to know each other better. Maybe we had scenes of like, I mean, he's brand new to LA, have a scene of him showing him around or like, you know, stuff like that could have been good build up their chemistry a bit more before we have this like they have a kiss he's gone and they spend the bulk of the movie separated apart from them reuniting Mm -hmm. at the airport yeah i was really surprised when i was watching it and then i was wondering about the runtime and it's like it's an hour and 47 minutes and they definitely could have cut like you said probably 15 probably even 20 minutes to bring it down to you know our ideal runtime of 90 minutes and it would have just really tightened the story yeah, up. For sure. And uh, 
cut would have been a better runtime. If it was cut to 90 and nothing was added, it also would have improved it. I think there was room to flesh out a few things as well if they wanted to. For something with a plot like this, which is like very standard, you know, sort of rom-com style thing, like a lot of these plot elements are similar to other, uh, you know, heterosexual romantic comedies, like... 90 minutes is a good runtime yeah. for that, even like a little bit less sometimes. So I, for this to be sitting at, you know, an hour 47, somebody should have been like, you know, maybe we should consider cutting this back a little bit. For a movie where they spend a ton of that runtime not in the same vicinity as each other, a lot of this isn't, like, they're not even together for a lot of this. Yeah. I read some comments and I've heard some comments that people wish it would have picked either lean more into being a romance between the two, add more scenes of them falling for each other, or lean more heavy on this being Aaron's story and leaning into the religious element of it. And I could see a version of this movie where we get uh, much less of Christian's point of view, and the whole thing is told through Aaron's point of view. I think he was, I don't know if I would say he's the stronger character. I'd say he's the more compelling character. I think Christian was maybe the stronger character, but if we see more of Aaron before he gets to the, like, uh, scenes of him leaving, him arriving here, dealing with his frat brothers, more scenes of him just in general. Like, we got a lot of how Christian was feeling about Aaron. Scenes of him talking to Julie. Scenes of him talking to all his friends at work and filling in some of those gaps. We don't get those same gaps filled in from Aaron's point of view. And then mm-hmm. you could have gotten a lot more of him and his family back home if they wanted to really lean into the religious angle, which I don't know. Maybe I'm happy they didn't because I've seen, I just like that this movie was, didn't end up with him like having a shouting match with his mother and like his father coming home and like slapping him and like him being kicked out of the house under the street. And then like, like all this really over dramatic stuff that you get in a lot of these movies. We got to skip a lot of that. We got enough of it to really anchor it. Yeah. But it was just nice to see him show up in LA on the bus with his one bag, find his way to Lila's uh, place with his little card that she gave him before and just go like, look, Eric, can I get that free meal? I have nowhere else to go. And then the chance meeting run into Christian. It was like, I cry a little bit. It was heartwarming. I like happiness for queer people. I did like the one scene where Christian shows up at Aaron's house and he talks to his mom just to return the pocket watch. And there's that like missed moment where she hesitates just a moment too long to call him back so that they can like talk in and have a moment there. And I don't wish that that scene had played out differently. Like, I think it's good that, you know, she clearly has this moment of regret, but because of whatever reason, you know, she hesitates just a moment too long and then he's gone and they don't have a chance to repair that. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, that could have definitely impacted the way that the story turned out. Maybe Christian would have been able to change her perception about her son for the positive, but... I mean, you know, the movie ends on on a happy note anyway, so I'm not mad about it. For everything I've heard from and read about from ex-Mormons, like, there's a lot of gay ex-Mormons out there, and it's a very, very homophobic church, and just the way it's almost more of a cult than a church in the way that you can't really, like, see a lot of your family after, and, like, it's, you get cut off from, like, your not just your church, but it's the, your entire world and community. Like you're so mm-hmm. insulated in it that it cuts you off from absolutely everything. And it's, it's like a unique experience that doesn't get told a lot on film. And this is probably one of the only like queer Mormon movies, at least 
the only, one of the only ones I've seen. And that's important, even if the movie, like they said, is maybe not like some shining gem in its filming and production. It's clearly like a low-budget indie. But I think there's enough there that definitely sticks with people. I guess jumping off mm-hmm. that, uh, what would this get on your uh, your ketchup rating? Would this be perfect as is? Could it use a little ketchup, or would you douse it? It definitely needs a little bit of ketchup. Uh, obviously, talking about you know cutting the runtime a little bit to tighten the story up. Maybe put a little bit more emphasis on the religious elements of it, either from Christian's point of view or Aaron's point of view, just to kind of like round that out a little bit. I would give this a could use ketchup as well. It, it could use a little a little nice sprinkling of ketchup over the runtime and some of the pacing and plotting and then some of the rougher elements as far as especially like you just like basically everything you said but i think from the time period this was fairly ambitious in what it is trying to tackle for a low budget indie and did a fairly good job of it and clearly clearly speaks to a certain group of people and i appreciate that oh no please join us we would love that what we were just trying to settle an argument, too. Really? What about it? Well, no, it's kind of weird. Come on, tell us. Okay, we were just wondering whether a woman who's only been with men could ever be sexually attracted to a woman. What do you think? Do you think she could? <laughs> well, hey, I think she could, definitely. <laughs> if she couldn't, she should. Correct. <laughs> What is that about? What? What is that male obsession with lesbian sex about? I don't get it. You know what? You don't have to answer that. Please don't. Oh, come on. It's just sexy, right? Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe. I mean, a woman alone is sexy. I mean, God bless. But two women together is like, it's like double sexy. Right. Double sexy. Wow. Wow. That's nicely put. Yeah, that um, really is nicely put. But tell us exactly exactly what is it about two women together that you find so exciting after this episode i asked you to watch the movie kissing jessica stein and um, this is a 2001 movie starring jennifer westfeld heather jurgensen tova felcha scott cohen and jackie hoffman uh, it's directed by charles herman wormfeld who directed legally blonde 2 stella which is tv uh, as well as a tv show called so notorious a movie called the hammer and some tv show called rage room i don't know anything about any of those things other than legally blonde the movie was written by Heather Jurgensen and Jennifer Westfeld and is actually based off a off-Broadway short that they wrote together called Lipstick. Uh, it has a tomato meter score of 85% critic and 65% audience. Holy, that's huh, kind of almost the flip. Yeah, it's very different than Latter Days in that in that way. Uh, the tagline for this movie is sometimes when it comes to love, you just can't think straight. The premise for this movie is single and unlucky in love. Jessica Stein is a copy editor for a small New York newspaper. After coming across a women seeking women listing that catches her interest, uh, she decides to respond, hoping more to find a friend than a relationship. Helen is the gallery manager at a contemporary art gallery who has grown bored with her host of male sexual partners and decides she wants to branch out and date women, placing an ad in the paper. And of course, they meet each other. And Jessica, despite her attraction to Helen, has a hard time letting go of her various hangups, of which there are many. 
but when she does, it leads to sweeping positive change in both her relationship with Helen and other areas of her life, too. So I chose this movie for you. I watched this, I think it was last year or maybe in 2018 when it was on Netflix. And I was like, try to watch a queer movie once a week week on Sundays or something like that. But it's a very lighthearted movie. It has a, a good ending and it was just very enjoyable. And I thought since, you know, you were asking me to watch a queer movie, I thought it would be worthwhile to make it a themed episode. So what were your uh, initial thoughts on this one? Uh, this is an interesting one because I'd seen this on so many like queer LGBT film lists uh, especially like when I was coming out around like the 2007-ish, 2008-ish time when this was uh, more recent and there were less things on those kinds of lists. It was kind of one of the big name movies at the time. Even back then, I remember hearing like pretty mixed opinions on it. And it was always just one that I kind of put to the side off on a list, like I'll watch it at some point. Uh, so I was pretty interested in watching this one, actually. It kind of often gets put up there with things like... Um, but I'm a cheerleader and imagine me and you and like that kind of era of like queer, uh, lesbian, women loving women movie. And it was one of the ones I hadn't seen off that kind of a list. So I was pretty interested to see it. Uh, I can definitely see why it was on so many lists and perhaps why it might be so controversial. I did very much enjoy watching this movie for most of the runtime, <laughs> maybe less so towards the end, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think for like a 2000s queer movie, it's held up pretty well. And I think a lot of that's for me and like what I think one of my big good points on this movie, probably my number one would be uh, how Jessica and Helen are both very interesting and developed and rich characters, especially like apart from each other and together. So I really like that aspect of it a lot. I think that definitely comes from the fact that this is a movie that's written by two women and that those two women are also playing the leads in this movie. So, you know, they are able to, you know, craft these very well-rounded characters that have a lot of depth. I mean, my main note under, you know, things that I thought were good about this movie is that Jessica and Helen are just such good characters. They're both yeah. very different. They both have very distinct personalities, but they're both just like so good. Like even Jessica with all of her various neuroses about things and Helen just being this very go with the flow sort of laissez-faire character uh it comes back to you know like the opposite opposite attract. attract yeah but um just like independently they're both so good and their lives apart from each other are like very well-rounded like their family yeah, lives that's and their friends a, and everything that's what i think i was really impressed by that like they each had really nice separate cast of characters around them and by themselves were very interesting characters having good dynamics and then that made it so much better when they were together to like play off all these things. The huge opposites attract element here is really fun where they set up really well early on with Jessica going through these guy after guy after guy. And she's always able to pick apart something that's not good enough for her uh, down to just like they're too into yoga. Like they don't use verbs correctly. Like just little things that, she would pick apart and like instantly write someone off and she was just so specific. And then meeting someone like Helen, who was so kind of laissez faire, go with the flow and like kind of started to challenge her on some of these things and um, seeing how they both like bounced off each other was really, really fun. I really liked Helen's 
um, interaction with Jessica in contrast to Josh, who's Jessica's boss and who she has prior relationship history with. Like there's a scene before Jessica meets Helen where she's been invited to a dinner and it's a setup. And the guy that she's supposed to be meeting is played by John Hamm. I'd originally listed him under the cast. (laughs) With a terrible middle part. I'd originally listed him under cast, but he's in this movie for like the entire five minutes of this one scene. And then we never see him again. So I took him out. Yeah. But, you know, she is uh, talking to him and she's recounting this series of dates that we've seen through montage just before all of this, where my favorite part of that is actually the one guy who clearly is like not on the same wavelength with her. You know, she he's drinking like white wine and she orders a frozen strawberry daiquiri and he you know, it's like, oh, yeah, like, we're on the same brainwave. And it's like, clearly, they're not. But, you know, after she's gone through all of this, like, Josh pins her to the wall verbally, and just like, reads her to filth over the fact that she's so nitpicky about all of these guys. And maybe that's what's holding her back and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't understand what he was expecting to accomplish by doing that to her in front of this table full of their friends, and like, basically making her feel shit about the fact that she has a hard time, you know, finding somebody that she can can connect with. And the fact that there's obviously some underlying whatever yeah. uh, residual from their relationship. It was just like, I have a lot of issues with Josh in this movie. He's yeah. really not somebody that oh, I sure. have a lot of love for. I Josh is very interesting. Maybe we should just talk about Josh for a second. Sure. So I wrote down at various points here, like I'm starting to really like Josh, but I hate Josh. Like even in that scene, it's like, I mean, I wrote down like, I mean, he has like some really extremely accurate, on point, like he's like seeing into her soul and like dragging out the truths that she doesn't want to see. Like some of this stuff, that's exactly what her problem was, right? Like when it comes down to it, like he was very correct in many of the things he was saying. And like, she was very dismissive. She did need to get over all these things. And, and he was being horribly rude about it. And it's completely the wrong context. And there was just various scenes with Josh where I'm like, you're very rude. <laughs> I don't like how you talk to Jessica a lot of the time, but there's something about him that I was almost drawn to as a character. He's very interesting to me, but I, yeah, I couldn't quite. I put think my Scott Cohen did really well with Josh as a character, and I that think it's might mostly be why his acting, you, yeah, yeah, I think he really does something with the character. Like Josh is Jessica's boss; he's the editor at the paper, and he's also somebody who was an aspiring writer, but because careers tend to take over your life. You know, the manuscript he's been working on for a long time has just been shoved in a drawer. And uh, Jessica's equally artist. Everybody in this movie is very artistic. Jessica is a fairly talented painter and that comes up. And obviously Helen is a uh, gallery manager. So she's got that element of artisticness and then Josh, who's the writer. So that really plays into uh, a lot of what happens at the end of the movie But a weird thing for me about Josh when I was watching this again was a lot of the interactions that Jessica and Josh have really frame him as though he should be the love interest for her in this movie. He is. Based on like every other fucking rom-com I've ever watched in my entire life. Those sort of interactions are indicators that like these people are supposed to be together. They, that's what it is. But like the movie is really about Jessica and Helen. Except the movie forgets that. And then it's about her and Josh. I do like that at the end of the movie when she and Helen have parted ways and she runs into him in the bookstore that 
it's just sort of like a friendly interaction and then she goes on with her Except, life and that no, no, the movie no. doesn't end up with they them are. together. Helen says, oh, she's with Josh now. Oh, I got to get off the phone or whatever. No, she said Jessica's on her way. She ran into Josh at the bookstore because all that happens They're totally is together at the to end. Josh and like, she, that's how it's framed. No. I mean, it's possible. It, she gives him her number. And she, that's the, what the movie's trying to get across. Like, obviously it doesn't happen on camera, I guess, but like, I don't know if it's like, I, oof, I don't know. Whoops. We're going to maybe have to save some of this for the bad for me because like I could rant on that, but like, yeah, maybe we'll come back to the ending. Maybe we should get through the rest of what we really liked about the movie. Cause the ending, I think we have to talk about specifically. Sure. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, since this is your first time seeing this movie, what were some things that you yeah. liked? Because I have, you know, a fairly substantive list myself. So it took me a while to kind of get into the movie at first, like, a lot of my nitpicks are at the very beginning and end. Like once I, once they were actually starting to get together, I really started to get into it. And the whole middle of this movie, I really, really liked once that they're together, especially that first uh, scene where they're over at Helen's place and they're, <laughs> and Jessica's finally decided, okay, I'm going to give this a try. And she's like done all this research and prep work. So she pulls out like the how to be a lesbian pamphlet and like, okay, we're going to need to get all these tools. I've already made a calendar for like when you're going to wear the strap on and when I'm going to wear the strap on, uh, we've, we've got it all figured out. And like, she's like, and Helen's just like, okay, uh, maybe we start a little slower than that. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny. I loved in that scene, one of the pamphlets that, uh, Jessica has that they're looking at across one side that's facing the camera it just as like vanilla sex and like huge yeah. red letters. Uh, all like that slow burn stuff with them where like Helen is like playing the guy role here and she just like she just really wants to like have sex and just like get it on and like this is way too slow for her but she clearly really likes Helen enough to wait and she has like that one scene where she's talking to her friends and is like oh it's been so long. I'm just going to dump her and get over with this. Like, I like I just, this is way too slow for me. She's just like a little girl and like so needy and all this. And she's just going on and on and on. And then Jessica calls and she instantly picks up the phone and goes into the soft baby voice. Like, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine, baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'll see you there. And then, and then her friends are just like, oh, she's she's done. She's hooked. Like, <laughs> I love during uh, her rant there. She's. She's going, you know, I took out an ad and ended up with a Jewish yeah. Sandra D. What are the odds? But I mean, compared to some of the people she could have based on the voicemails yeah. that we get to hear, like, even though Jessica's moving at a snail's pace for what Helen wants, you know, she could have somebody who's looking to have a child with her or is like incredibly desperate to just be with someone, anyone. So I liked seeing how Hel- uh, Helen had such a good effect on Jessica where like, after their very first kiss, you see Jessica at work and she's like singing to herself and everyone's like, Oh my God, what happened to her? And she just like really starts to mellow out a little bit more. Oh, that stuff was great. Yeah. I really liked all of the ways that Helen challenged Jessica in terms of her thinking about like what makes her happy and, um, you know, her perceptions towards relationships and just all kinds of things that really, you know, pushed her out of her comfort zone, but not in a way, not in the way that like Josh would have done it, you know, where he was being very condescending and kind of not kind of, but like very rude about it. It's like the the way that she approaches Jessica, I think partly because they're both women 
you know, is, I don't want to say kid gloves, but that's kind of what I'm thinking of. You know, it's like it's got a, a gentler touch to it, which is like a very annoying thing to say about a woman. But here we are. I really like Helen's two best friends, the gay couple. Is that one of them's Peter, right? One of them is Martin. I, think the I don't other know one's what Peter. Oh, it, if you've got one of their names, then we've think got it's the couple. Peter. Martin is They were great. One. I love their little dynamic together, how one of them was a little bit more supportive, one of them was a little bit more crass, and like and like their whole thing, like you need a good quote for your ad. Like that's what's gonna sell it. <laughs> uh, they're just like pulling like Oscar Wilde and all this stuff off the shelf and like they're great. I think all three of them had a great dynamic. The poem they actually pull from. It's called Fear of the Inexplicable and it's by a German poet uh, named Rainer Rilke. I'm probably saying his last name wrong. I'm sorry. But it's like a three stanza poem and it's mostly, it's kind of like a prose style poem, but they specifically choose it because they want a poem that like a straight woman is going to. Yeah, which uh, is great. Which of course it does. And Jessica had literally been reading that poem like earlier in the day before seeing the ad in the paper. It was hilarious when like her friend, uh, uh, Joan is reading out this article. And like, as soon as she reads the poem, her just like, it's like, shing, it's like, what, what was that? She's like fully into it. Like it just hook line and sinker got her. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little funny that at first, like when they were like, we need a quote to fill out your ad. I just like immediately went to online dating profile and they're like, oh, no, this is in the newspaper. <laughs> right. This is uh, 2001. <laughs> I couldn't like quite think in my head. Like, I think people still take out well, newspaper you, ads. You know, it's just not very common. It, they're not going to do a movie like this now with a newspaper ad. Oh, I wonder, not. like, obviously, I wasn't uh, on a dating profile at the time in 2001, but. When did online dating really blow up? I mean, 2001, you probably could meet people on, like, chat boards and message boards and, like, things like that. But dating sites, I feel like, was more mid to late 2000s, right? Yeah, I think probably around, right? 2005 and a little bit later. I know that when I was, after I graduated in 2005... You know, somebody I was friends with in 2007 was like using plenty of fish, yeah, and that plenty was a big fish. thing. And I think match.com match. and stuff com, like yeah. that. Yeah. So that probably around just yeah. before like the 2010s is sort of like when it was in its infancy. So that, was, that was funny to me. One of my favorite scenes is when they're all back at uh, the parents' house for Shabbos dinner. That whole thing is great. But then especially the fact that, I mean, Helen's there as her like gal pal friend, right? And no one really realizes at this point. Uh, due to circumstance, like, this is like their 10th day they've uh, been together, and this is like the day they're going to try and have sex for real and all this stuff. And, like, it gets interrupted by Shabbos yeah. dinner. Helen gets dragged along anyways. Yeah, Helen has rented a hotel yeah. room, has, like, put she is out ready all of these to go. spots <laughs> to make sure that they're not going to get interrupted so that they can finally, finally, finally have sex. And then she's talking to Jessica's mom and they've made up a, a lie that she's gotten tickets to go see a cabaret. And her mom is like, oh, the main lead is gone and you don't want to see it if they're not there. And I'll get you guys tickets to replace yeah. these ones. And like, doesn't even give Helen really an opportunity to yeah. object. And then the next thing you know, it's like, we're going to Shabbos dinner. So I love the overbearing Jewish mother trope. It's always fun in these movies. I also like that Jessica's mom, like she's not, as overbearing like she i really love her a lot i think that tova felsha's oh, as her great. mom was so good and of course there's the scene later where she's sitting outside with jessica and she's talking about you know 
Jessica's tendency to not commit to things because she's concerned that it's not going to be the best thing ever and acknowledges the fact that like she can very much tell that the relationship that she's in with Helen is you know like a romantic and a sexual relationship and basically like gives her her blessing and it doesn't require Jessica to have some like weird awkward coming out scene the way that so many of these movies do my favorite (laughs) thing about this movie I should have that should have been the first thing I even mentioned about this was like my absolute favorite thing about this movie is that the family instantly is on board. We have no drama about that. Uh, the next scene after her mom has accepted her, they're like all at the wedding and all the family members know they're all accepting of it. They're all really, really interested in getting to know Helen and like, are you going to get surrogates for your children and like all this stuff, right? It's great. I love like, that like one of her aunts or her grandma or something asks if Helen, if she is Jewish and Helen says no. She's like, but I've been to a Seder before. And they're like, well, that's close enough. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Slightly ruined by the ending for you, but we'll get there. But the scene that is just peak gay culture where it's like you're back home and you're staying in your childhood bedroom with your lover that your parents think is just your friend. And like that's in so many of these movies. And I love it. It's stupid. It's great. The like back in your childhood bedroom. And it's like it was only one bed and it was like the narrowest little twin bed that you could ever imagine. It's very make the Yuletide gay. It's like so many of these movies have this and I love it. The other thing I liked about this movie is that there is so much good innuendo in it as well, um, especially sort of in the early stages of the relationship. Like there's a scene where Jessica and Helen are just having drinks at the bar and the two guys interrupt them and uh, buy them drinks. And Helen is yeah. using this as a way of like, you know, riling Jessica up underneath the table. And, um, you know, they're asking like, well, what is it about two women together? I also liked this scene because it's kind of poking fun at like the idea of heterosexual guys, like being obsessed with lesbians. At least that was my read on it, but there's a lot of like very fun uh, innuendo happening there when they make the joke or the excuse that something's wrong with Jessica's leg. And, Oh, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that she's okay. And as they're leaving, they're like, you know, women really know how to take care of each other. (laughs) Like, yeah, if you only knew my guy, I really like that we have a four second scene at the wedding where Adina Menzel is there. And I had to pause and go, is that Adina Menzel? And like, look it up because. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Cause I also had her listed under cast, but then I didn't see her at all when I watched this movie. And I watched this one twice. Less than four seconds. And yeah, I was going to ask She's if you were able to spot her. So oh, I'm. I found her. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to sneak Adina Menzel by me. It's like, I just saw her nose. I'm like, that's. I know you. Wow. (laughs) It's great. I think it's just the, the, like, she's one of the girls at the wedding that comes up and says, are you the lesbians? (laughs) And it's like really quick, but it's great. It's generally speaking. I also really like that the relationship between Jessica and Helen, and I, you talked about this a little bit after, um, you know, they first get together when Jessica's, you know, like humming to herself and like she seems much happier that the relationship in general is just shown to be happy and well-adjusted and you know like it's not having some weird negative effect on her like you know oh you know she should be with a man you know sort of like that's kind of framing where her being in a relationship with a woman is like unnatural and she would only be that happy if she wasn't with you know what i mean one quote that i wrote down that i really liked was from the shabbos dinner where they try and uh, her mom's trying to hook Jessica up with the 
IBM guy. And as soon as it comes out that he like is a computer guy, both Helen and Josh, without missing a beat at the same time, just turn and say, Jessica hates computers. And I just wrote down like it's peak bisexual energy that your ex and your current girlfriend just like at the drop of a hat are saying this over Shabbos dinner. I love that. <laughs> it was great. Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the B word when we get into some of the other stuff, but I was surprised that it was never brought up, not even as a potential. We'll get its to it. Its absence was notable in the way that it was outright stated in camp, but like, yeah, we'll get there. Um, I had one other thing that I wanted to mention, um, but I forget what it is now. Who do you have to blow to get some pussy out here? <laughs> I love Helen. <laughs> yeah, she's so good. Is there any other thing under good for you that you wanted to really address or sort of covered most things? Um, I think we've covered most things. Okay. Um, were there any things that were like nitpicks to you that you like kind of niggled at you but didn't like ruin the movie? Um, I mean, there was a few things that like, let's see, I had something specific, but now I can't find it. I mean, my only, one of my things that like kind of got to me in a nitpicky way was at the end when it like skips, uh, three months later and then we get to them breaking up and all that right after the wedding and she runs into Josh and Josh just goes, Oh, it's been a really long time. And I'm just like, what, didn't we just skip three months? And I'm just thinking to myself, all the people I haven't seen in three months. And like, if I saw them now, I wouldn't go to them and say, it's been a really long time. Cause like in my 30, like people in their thirties, like just don't see each other. That's just like a thing I gather that like, you just don't see anyone anymore. Yeah. But Josh so and Jessica like used to work together. Like, hey. I know it's just like three months, you know, yeah. I mean, realistically three months is not a long time, but if it's somebody that you work with and you saw every day to not see them for a long time like that, it's like, I would definitely say it's been a while. I guess. I would say maybe it's been a while, a long time. It's it's a really long time. Yeah. I mean, we're quote. Joyce, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nitpicks, right? Yeah. Let's just get into some of the bad. Let's talk about the ending. So oof. for me, I was shocked when this movie, shocked when this movie didn't end at the wedding. I was so confused. But we get, I, I wasn't looking at my runtime. We were at the wedding. Helen, uh, and Jessica are finally, like, out in the open. They're out to everyone. They've been accepted by the family. They're having a great time. And I'm just like, awesome. Happy ending with them. Okay, roll credits. And then we're cutting back and forth to Josh, frantically typing at his computer. And, like, uh, he's like inspired to write all this stuff time. And he's late to the wedding. And then we cut back to all the happy stuff. And then we're cutting back to Josh. I'm like, why is there all this emphasis on Josh? This is weird. Josh gets to the wedding. And then when I think it's supposed to cut, no, Josh drags Jessica up on the roof, confesses his love for her, and they have, like, this weird chemistry, romancy, weird scene going on. And then, like, Helen walks up and, like, interrupts it. And I'm just like, wait, why why are we getting a third-act love reveal from Josh? Like, I'm so confused. Is the movie not over? And then Jessica and Helen break up, which, I mean, honestly understandable based on how the movie's been going. And then she runs into Jessica runs into Josh. They have this insane chemistry and all of a sudden are like giggling like school children, passing exchanging numbers and 
a hundred percent, I believe we're led to believe that that's a relationship based on the rest of the movie and how they've been setting them up. Like you said, at the beginning, they have, Josh is clearly not over her. They clearly have all these grounding moments through the movie. That's bringing us back to Josh. And the movie ends with her and Josh. I was shocked. I was like, Oh God, movie. Really? I hated it. I thought that was terrible. I don't know. I mean, I didn't read it as her ending up with Josh. Um, I think that but she's like, in a, how do we frame the rest of it? I don't know. Like the third act love reveal from Josh that should come in the moment of the story where the main love interest is confessing their love. Like that's the, the moment in the story where the love confession comes and it came from Josh to her. We have all the little things at Chavez dinner with Josh, like clearly like saying, Oh, she's not into computers. Like all this stuff that's framing him still being in love with her. The whole thing about like him being jealous of her being happy because he doesn't want her to be happy because he wants her to be happy because of him and like, and all the stuff and like, and they're meeting at the end. And it was just like, okay, that's, that's the romance we're supposed to be getting for Jessica. And I think if we wanted to go the route of Helen and Jessica not getting together, it needed to end with neither of them in a relationship or like neither of them with people that we haven't been established, at least it was real weird for me. I mean, you know that I love movies that don't end with people in relationships. And I mean, I think the end of the movie could definitely be be read as the fact that they're both in a better place where like they could just be friends with each other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand that based on everything else that the reading that most people probably would have is that they end up, in a relationship together. But I, I like the idea that she's just like in a better place mentally. And in terms of, you know, how she's approaching things, she's dealing with art. He's dealing with art, you know, like they're out of this uh, sort of corporate, whatever that they were doing before and allowed mm-hmm. to actually be themselves. And I think that that creates a good point for them to just be friends with each other. And if that develops into something else, then great. But um that's just kind of like how I was reading it is like, she's like moved on to the point that she doesn't hate computers so much because now she's using email and that's actually like the preferential choice for getting in touch with her. Uh, So she's had a good amount of growth and he's surprised by that. And I, I just, I don't know. I didn't necessarily read it as like, they're definitely going to be hooking up. I don't see a point of Josh, like Josh as a character in this movie only exists as a romance for me. Like, there's no point to his character. His whole character arc is realizing he's in love with Jessica. I mean, it's so just a way to create a, a love triangle, I guess. It's a love triangle that only starts at the third act. It's real weird. Like, I wouldn't say that it starts really at the third act because we can tell that he is interested in her and that there is pre-established relationship there. And it isn't until the third act, of course, that it's he, you know, he admits that or takes action. Yes. I thought he was just supposed to be a bitter, jealous ex and that he was supposed to be a foil to Helen. That's what I was thinking until that point. I read Josh as he's a foil to Helen because he's trying to hold her back because he's, really trying to he likes seeing her in a bad place because it makes him feel better he's a jealous ex he's almost more of an antagonist like he's the villain almost like not a not like a capital v villain but he's 
representative of how Jessica used to be. He's in mm-hmm. her past. He's all these things that she associates, like all the negative things in her life, really, like were associated with Josh. And it's not until she meets Helen that she can move past those things. And then in the third act, that all gets flipped on its head. And Josh has this weird realization. He's a writer again. Oh, you make me a better person. And I just want to be with you. And it was weird for me. Fair enough. I did like that, you know, Jessica and Helen end up being friends, even if they're not romantically involved. Just like on everything essentially ends on a positive note. You know, Jessica is exploring the art side of herself she's friends with helen um she's left her job you know and yeah i don't know it's, i i like i liked the end from that point is like you know she had this experience it wasn't framed as bad it ends not great but even at the outset you know they're able to still be friends and have a relationship with each other in that regard yeah i think for me because the ending was so rushed i couldn't i wanted something more concrete for me to draw conclusions from over where they are now and what it all meant. A lot of this looms over the B question. Like, are we meant to assume that Jessica is straight and had a, like, and Helen just like taught her to be a better straight woman. Like, there's so many weird things that that I got from this because it's just very strange to me that both of them start the movie showing no interest in uh, exploring that side of themselves. And then Helen only does it because she's seemingly bored. And Jessica only does it seemingly because she was intrigued by a poem quote. And they both get dragged into this relationship. And Helen really fights to get Jessica to like in this relationship because Jessica's so willing to walk away at the, fir- at the first thing. Like, oh, I don't know why I did this. This is a mistake. And Helen has to do the whole, like, fake drop out of all her purse, drag her in for just one more drink, and then they start to spark and all this. And and then it's not until later in the movie when we even get a glimpse of Helen's subplot of the her best friend saying, like, are you serious about being with a woman now, or is this still just, like, you're bored? And, like, questioning Helen's sincerity in this, like, was a brief subplot towards the end. And a lot of these things just didn't get resolved for me. And I was just very confused because seemingly it ends with neither of them. because We just don't know what their stances are on all this. I think with the, the two gay friends that she has, that does come up very early on when she's working on doing the ad. Martin, who's the one who is not supportive. When she's of doing this. the ad, but then that's before she's been with Jessica. But yeah. Yeah. But even from then, you know, he challenges her on the fact that, you know, she's not gay and like of course they're skirting around the b word and you know right from the outset he's questioning her motives for wanting to do this and suggesting that she's doing it because it's trendy and i I think there was like some piece that was in the new york times around this period of time that like talked about this in like a trendy kind of way i'm not sure i didn't look anything up but it sounds familiar yeah and like of course this comes back again later where he makes a very bad analogy about, you know, putting shoe polish on his face because he doesn't want to be white anymore. And I was like, that is not the right way to talk about this. Although 
it does make a good point when Helen challenges him. He's like, well, that's not a good analogy because like I wasn't born black and he goes exactly. And it's a nice counterpoint to people who claim that being gay is a choice. But um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he is so like vehemently opposed to her doing sort of any sexual exploration at all, you know, it they're really framing it as being very black and white. Yeah. Because we don't get a lot of her Helen's thought process to this, which I think would have helped. Like, I was quite confused the whole movie, honestly, why Helen was so serious. Like, she just really wanted some pussy. Like, like she kept repeating that, like, over and over again. Like, And it was a weird thing to me, because she clearly had all these men lined up that she could just casually have whenever she wanted that, like, keep interrupting the movie and things like that. And she's so committed to this idea and I wasn't really sure why. And it was like there, and like she said, like she even said at some point, like there's like, there's easier ways to go about this than like, and it's presumed that she's falling for Jessica and that's why, but I never got like even a clear picture over if she was truly falling for Jessica. And as much as I liked their relationship, I did have written down here that like, I didn't super buy their camp, their, they didn't really have a lot, any sexual chemistry for me. They had a decent amount of romantic chemistry for me. And I wrote down like, like Jessica could easily be asexual, which like we write a lot on these things, but like she seemed very interested in having a romantic relationship and was open to having a romantic relationship with a woman, but was very cautious and hesitant about doing anything sexual. And like she had, she was very uncomfortable being touched on her belly in various places and things like this. And, the whole thing was just a little confusing to me. I know that when Helen and Jessica first meet each other, like she admits that she answered that because she was kind of more interested in having a friend than she was like a relationship. Before we got to this part of the movie, I was just reading you this very short review of the movie on Letterboxd. This movie is the reason the term gal pals exists. And I think, you know, maybe that's not fully accurate, but it also definitely plays into that where it's, you know, when you see them together, it doesn't, immediately they're very good friends yeah they're very good friends that are trying really hard to actually have sex (laughs) it reminded me a little bit of uh like couples trying to get pregnant like they were like planning it down like okay we're gonna try again tomorrow is like literally what they say and it was just like this is being overly planned (laughs) if she and jessica like had some conversation together kind of like about their perceptions of their own sexualities for sure it's it's really about two straight women in a relationship with each other yeah and they never acknowledge that they are anything other than either straight or maybe they're fully a lesbian but like that's all that's acknowledged is it's acknowledged at the beginning of the movie that they're both straight and then it's acknowledged they're falling for each other and at various points they question maybe i'm gay but it's that's about all we get to and like it's even like at the end of the movie where Josh is asking Jessica what happened with Helen. And she goes, she wanted to be with someone a little more gay, I guess was the thing. And I'm just thinking like, no, Jessica, she wanted to be with someone who is a little more sexual. Like that's different than like being gay. Like the romance, the attraction, the chemistry never seemed to be a problem with Helen. Yeah. It was just that like immediately after you, you got together, uh, you instantly suffered lesbian bed death and like, and she just couldn't deal with that. And like, fair enough. But like, 
I think that was more the issue. Yeah. <laughs> and then Helen, Helen gets in a relationship with another woman who seemingly has a lot of sexual passion for her. And we get the sense that Helen's sexuality is, ends up somewhere on the more fluid spectrum. And I get the sense that Jessica's sexuality ends up somewhere less on the fluid spectrum that she's not a perfect six or zero. I don't know. On the Kinsey scale, she's not a perfect heterosexual on the Kinsey scale, but maybe only one point removed, but we're never really treated to any sort of discussion that either of them could be anything other than a hundred percent one or the other. My last point was definitely just like, what the fuck was the entire point of the movie then? <laughs> just like, I was just mad that they didn't get together and then it didn't just end at the thing. I think that would have made a worse movie because if it just ended with them getting together, we would have ignored all the red flags that clearly they, I don't think it was about them getting together because they weren't great together in a lot of ways. Like they made each other better people, but it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. And like you said, uh, they made each other better. They can move on as friends and this is going to make them much more whole and better people in the future, whoever they date after this. Yeah. And their friendship coming out of this is great, but I don't think the movie, I think the movie did a disservice, not, ending stronger on that note. Yeah, I think it the movie was not sure what it wanted to do with respect to that. But I mean, I think it's interesting that both the movies that we watched for this episode ended up having sort of open-ended endings with respect to like what happens with the relationships. Yeah. Like Jessica could potentially get into a relationship with another woman. We don't know what kind of impact this relationship with Helen had on her. And of course, you know, we, as previously mentioned, we don't really know if Christian and Aaron are going to have a successful relationship because they have a lot of issues yeah. that they need to work out. I definitely wrote down it's the most heterosexual homosexual movie I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah. I definitely made a note about like the weird performative heteronormative normativity of Helen, like taking a lot of the male traits and like the relationship still had a lot of like that male female dynamic, just in the way that they approach things. Like Helen was very um, yeah. assertive and Jessica was very sort of, I don't want to say passive because she wasn't passive, but she was uh, much more, yielding to like submissive yeah submissive that's the word that i'm looking for yeah was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with this movie i just really hated the whole josh thing that's about it most of my notes my notes get really rambly at the end just like she gets with josh i will literally cry i was just like groaning and screaming the whole time they're meeting at the bookshop and they're just like being so flirty and i'm just like no why is that the takeaway? Yeah, I was hopeful for something when she was talking to um, the bookstore employee about her flyers. Yes. And they had almost a little flurry moment. Yeah. I don't know if that was like an intentional thing, but it was definitely something I was like picking up on. I wrote a lot of like, maybe she's just asexual. She doesn't seem to be interested in sex. I definitely had that thought myself for sure. But if not, I think she probably falls more into like the gray sexual area if we were going to put her anywhere there. Uh, But that would be something that would be uh, worth talking about exploring in, in greater detail for sure. Like even Jessica says, like when she's breaking up with Helen, like I thought, like I I thought everything was going great. And like, she didn't seem 
like she was necessarily ready to leave the relationship. She just was extremely content with it being a low sex relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, my big nitpick about this was the whole like, I don't send emails thing. Like I just receive them. <laughs> so I'm just thinking like, okay, email is a huge thing still. Everyone at your office is sending emails. What the F, Jessica? If your coworker sends you an email, you're just not responding because you don't believe in email, but you believe in it enough to get the email. You're just not going to respond to any emails. I mean, it might be a thing where she gets an email and then she calls somebody. I experience that with people all the time at work. Well, I'll send them an email and then they'll call me to talk about the email. The whole pedantic thing about not believing in email just bugged me. Yeah, but at the end, email is like the best way to get a hold of her. So she definitely comes around on it. Yeah, I know. I know. Maybe it's another time thing where like email was enough of a thing to be getting sent, but not, but it would be like, could you imagine now if someone said, oh yeah, I'll read your email, but I don't believe in responding to emails. Like that would not go over. (laughs) Yeah. The idea that someone's just not going to respond to emails is crazy. I mean, people don't respond to emails, and it's very annoying. Yes. Anyway. And it is very annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Irrelevant. Uh, Okay, so where would you put this on our ketchup scale? Perfect as is, could use some ketchup or douse it. I know it ranted a whole lot on the whole Josh romance angle and the ending, but for, like, the bulk of this movie, I was having a great time. I love the two characters, I think it does a lot of things really successfully. I definitely would put it firmly under just needs some more ketchup. Because just for me personally, a deeply unsatisfying ending can take the steam or sales out of a something real fast. But apart from that, there there wasn't that much I needed. Maybe like address the sexuality question a little bit more. Maybe address the B word in the room and change the ending a bit. But I really liked it. I would put it on the cusp of perfect as is and could use ketchup. Uh, It's definitely a movie that is from a very specific time, but it's very enjoyable watch. The characters are all great. Well-rounded. I think the ending is open for interpretation as evidenced by our discussion there. And there are obviously like a few things that, you know, maybe weren't even appropriate to put in at the time, like, the weird blackface analogy probably wouldn't even be appropriate in 2001. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely watch it again. That's it for us this episode. Join us again next time when we catch up on more movies with each other. For updates on future episodes and other news, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Movie Catch Up Pod.